Hello, everybody. No. Oh, my God. That's terrible. Today, we discuss our thoughts on episode four of season eight of Game of Thrones called The Last Stark. No, you've fucked it off again, bud. Why? Today, we discuss our thoughts on episode four. No, fuck. No, that is right. Today, we discuss our thoughts on episode four of season eight of Game of Thrones, The Last of the Starks. Is that correct? Yeah, well done. Round of applause. Thanks. You can smell the shit from five miles away. So, who was the last of the Starks? I, I don't know. No, I didn't either. I was thinking about it and I was like, oh, it's John. And then I was like, well, no. You see, Arya says that line yeah. in that Godswood scene. But then, like, she's putting forward that they need to be a family. But then she goes off with the hound anyway. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know who the last of the Starks is. Maybe it just means the collective last of the Starks. But that doesn't really seem to apply to any overall point or theme, does it? No, no. No, no, no. No, no. No, no, no. Anyway, it's just the episode title, isn't it? It's doesn't just really... the episode title. It doesn't mean yeah. anything. <clears throat> what What were your initial reactions during and after? Yeah, this is interesting because I watched it with my brother, right? And he tends to be more forgiving of things than I am but I I was quite positive in general uh, after watching it right yeah but then after thinking about things and talking with him I realised hang on a second Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm wrong (laughs) but uh, not not that I'm wrong you see what, what happened with me is there were a few things in it that I liked that I had missed that weren't addressed in previous episodes and they kind of overshadowed the negatives for me in the moment but once I sat down and thought about it I realised oh god no I, I didn't like this episode at all really now that's not to say it's awful because there are bits that I do like there are character moments that I really like but uh, no in general I didn't like it what about you? Pretty similar to how I feel about it Um, yeah I I actually really enjoyed it a bit over the top but I enjoyed it in the moment for the most part um, there were some parts that I was really into and f- f- more so than I have been for a while actually and then I, same as you as I started to think about it afterwards I started to think hang on that doesn't make sense or why have they done that or whatever <laughs> um, yeah but I mean again it depends how you, how you how you view game of thrones for you what sort of viewing experience it is for you if it's something that it's you're meant to it's meant to resonate with you afterwards then it ain't for you anymore if it's something that you want to sit down and enjoy and be entertained by you know that was a great episode of television you know however however you want to think about it it's a great episode of television um great moments great characters all that stuff it's just when you start to move away and think about these things it, it, the problems start to grow yeah and manifest and yeah. obviously and there were a few moments as well that in the moment were problems as well but yeah, yeah for the most part I, I really enjoyed it yeah well yeah <laughs> I, yeah I did as well but I just the first half especially or the first two thirds maybe it's yeah. just a lot to do with as soon as they get out of Winterfell, it just crumbles for me mm. for a number of reasons. But yeah. we'll get to that. Yeah. I mean, one thing for me is that the setup 
has been consistently quite good in Game of Thrones and has continued to be consistently good. And it's bit and it's and whilst the payoff also used to be good, in fact the payoff used to be amazing, the yeah. payoff is now what's letting it down. So what I mean by that is Game of Thrones has always had a lot of setup, a lot of character development, uh, and then it pays off in a way which is both spectacular and organic. And yep. now what we're getting is we're continuing to get set up and yet... And then the, subversion. Yes, and the, the subversion is not organic. No. And not only is it not organic, it comes way too soon. The, yes, correct. Yeah. So, I mean, I've got a few a few examples of that, which I I can sort of lump together in a bit when we start to talk about it a bit more. Yeah. Um, but when it started and we're um, beginning and I agree in in the first half of the episode you know that for me was a good half of an episode in and of itself and again the reason why that works is because the setup feels all good and then it lets itself down because the payoff doesn't quite work so seeing John speaking away which was you know reminiscent I suppose of the north and at the very beginning with his opening speech and yep. being beholden to the northern way and the way Ned Stark would talk. Yep. To me, all of that was emotionally resonant. Yeah. And so it really kicked off in a way which, for me, just felt nostalgic and <laughs> real for, yeah. for the character. And it felt like true to the characters. Mm-hmm. And then the feast scene had a, had a really similar feel to me. It conveyed you know, a, a celebratory but still solemn mood, which I thought was actually really well directed and uh, yeah. well put together. Um, and the characters behaved in a way which was mostly in keeping with what we have grown to expect of yep. those characters. Yep. So again, all of that was just really well done. Uh, yeah, in and of itself, in the moment, it's really well done. And what's funny about this is I I felt the same way about you for that opening funeral scene and then the feast afterwards, which is really strange when you think about it. And it's sort of a weirdly great achievement that they managed to do that because we weren't happy at all with the last episode. Mm. And this is all dependent on the stakes and the loss that occurred in the last episode, which we didn't feel anything for really anyway. Mm. So the fact that we actually do feel things for... um these moments that happen in this episode that are pretty much entirely dependent on, on the last episode it. yeah it, it's strange but as you said nostalgia actually does play a large part in that in that you're thinking of ned when john makes a speech you're thinking of how things used to be and yet yeah, this feels right this feels good it's not necessarily because you feel for the characters who are dead it's yeah. because you feel at home in this world and in this story element again Mm. which is we've spoken about before how uh, the writers of the show have sort of built upon the foundation of a really really powerful and good uh, opening few seasons essentially yeah. in terms of story and characters and now you know you could argue it as right it, 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 you could argue that if you've got the budget it's almost impossible to get that wrong in terms of um these characters you've already got these characters now within this world so yeah. all you need to do is put them in the world and say 
anything reminiscent of what that character should say and it will feel <laughs> right yeah and i do i do genuinely believe that i don't i don't think that from a character writing perspective it's it's not difficult it's, yeah yeah I, I, I honestly don't um and do you know what there's there's here in this in this opening fee so i I'll talk about this this whole idea of setup and payoff. Yeah. Because it there are probably three instances I can think of off the bat which happen within this first part of the episode which either later in the episode or even a few minutes after the pay, setup yeah. are paid off and it yeah. it then starts to show the contrivances. So yeah. Daenerys honoring Gendry for instance. <laughs> like for me that was a that was that was really cool and because it was a smart move politically and made sense in the moment and what they did was they had they made it feel tense in a way which when she first called his name and said and said who are you or what are robert's son aren't you you weren't sure where she was going to go with that or i wasn't sure anyway and yet it went in such a way that fit the characters and it, it made sense organically so what we've spoken about before with the whole red wedding thing, the why, the reason why that worked was because they make that previously they made scenes tense, not to be tense, but because they would have naturally been tense, and mm. yet you can't naturally predict the outcome of it because those characters aren't predictable. And that was the same here. It was one of those moments for me, which felt like it could have gone either way, and yet her going either way would have been reasonable. So. Yeah. So that was a good moment. That again, that was back to the old feel to me. Um, but the moment typifies a lot of what Game of Thrones gets wrong for me these days because the scene worked on the whole really well. But when you take it in its wider context, it starts to become more and more meaningless. <laughs> yeah. Because not only will we perhaps never see Gendry in these positions or whatever, or this, that, and the other. Yeah. Discounting that for a second. While Danny was honouring Gendry, we see Tyrion nodding. And this is in the moment that shows us, or we think is showing us that Tyrion believes in her and shows us that he now knows that Daenerys knows how to play the game politically. Because Tyrion's there sort of watching her do it, sort of nodding and like, wow. And yet that comes to naught, essentially, because in fact the whole idea is derailed as we then later learn... Yeah. Tyrion has doubts about Daenerys anyway. So we have the setup and then we have a payoff that never it, it's like they don't the, the payoff is completely separate to the setup. And in in that instance the the setup was was there wasn't a setup actually. It was a it was me thinking something but it was actually just the writers writing Tyrion nods. Yeah. If you see yeah, what no, I mean. No, you're right. Yeah. I'd also bring up something else, not to intrude on the point you're making here, but again, I, I didn't like that scene as much as you because, or that not not that scene, that moment as much as you because um, it just showed, again, showed disregard for the wider context of Westeros, like as if Storm's End has just been lying dormant and empty there. It's like, who's the Lord of Storm's End now? Oh, I don't know. No one? Gendry, you be Lord of Storm's That's not how things work. And it comes up again later in the episode. They'll make Bronn lord of high garden the, the world doesn't seem to exist outside these characters these castles are apparently just lying waiting to be given to someone when that's totally unrealistic and doesn't really make sense at all and wouldn't have happened 
in past seasons because they always showed regard for what was going on outside the immediate characters we were focusing on. So just to play devil's advocate and um, sort of uh, humour me for a second, yep. what would... Like, it doesn't necessarily mean that, they, that they're writing it so that those castles are laying dormant, does it? It could just mean that Daenerys is just bestowing that, that honour upon Gendry or so-and-so is doing that with Bronn because they have that power. That doesn't necessarily imply that they're laying dormant at that point, does it? It, it doesn't imply, but if they're not laying dormant, then someone has moved in and they will then have to be ousted, whether it's another lord in the Stormlands or down in the Reach, um, or whether it's like brigands or pirates or whatever um you know whoever has been in power in the reach and the stormlands who we we don't know like since the baratheons and the Tyrells were wiped out someone ha- someone's been doing something down there trying to you know arrange things and get the whole place in order someone will have tried to take over right in the time since the previously reigning lords have died but and you know it's not as easy as just installing someone else there like there will be consequences to Gendry being named Lord of Storm's End and all that Got uh, but we're not supposed to think about that that's all I'm really saying mm. so I mean there are ways that they could deal with that even if they wanted to have have that moment for Gendry there are ways yeah. they could have dealt with the problem that you've just said aren't there which they which could have been very simple and literally a word or two here yeah exactly a couple of lines yeah sorted out you know so uh, you know we've sent a raven to so and so and they've agreed or whatever yeah perfect yeah yeah (laughs) literally just thought of it like just acknowledging acknowledging the world in the slightest way yeah basically Yeah. yeah which is what they used to do a lot of in the in the earlier seasons yeah um yeah but I mean, I just liked the whole feel of that whole scene, and when Daenerys is then looking around and, and we starting to see or she, see she feels out of place, it's like I think it's like I think in the moment again, it's it's like a really beautifully demonstrated moment where she looks yeah, around I, and the music. I really like that. Yeah, and it's again, it's totally truthful and organic for her character because she w- this is totally foreign to her. The North is like, I mean, it's mentioned in the books it's mentioned in the show the north is like a different world to a lot of people yeah you know these it's evidence of like a lot of say brotherhood sisterhood like kinship that she is not used to at all i I think i didn't we bring this up in a former when we were talking about a previous episode it was oh yeah it was when theon came back to winterfell that she didn't like when sansa ran over to hug theon danny was kind of standing back like what what is this like she didn't understand the the barriers coming down and everyone just kind of getting on. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and that makes sense to me. Like, why would she understand that kind of, like you say, kinship and brotherhood? Like, yeah. she hasn't, she's never had any of that. She's always been, a. she's either been a little girl who's been, like, harried from pillar to post by her older brother, or she was a leader suddenly because she had dragons. Yeah. And she... And she's never had that kinship or been able to treat people as as one, as as on a level with her, or been yeah. able to. She's only ever been able to do that in a in a regal way, um, yeah. not in a not in like a truthful way, which is how John does it. So that rings totally true. Mm-hmm. But again, it, 
the problem again is the setup and payoff. Again, they're setting something up, and we know that the the, the payoff is going to come too soon for my liking or your liking because <laughs> we've only got two episodes left. Yeah. So, so the setup and payoff thing comes into play again, as if they've only just thought about it. Whereas that could have that moment, that, that feelings, those feelings could have been stronger, or in the earlier episodes, or in an ideal world, the show would have been longer. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Well, at least we had a. Uh, we finally had the Hound and Sansa acknowledging that they know each other as well, which I complained about. Yeah, since the season started. Yeah, you had actually. But, yeah, and it, that, that's that's really interesting because when that came up, I thought oh, this is cool because Kian actually did, you know, complain about this, and they have they have done it here. So that yeah, so that's and good. The Hound actually, maybe not precisely through dialogue, but through action, he seemed like the old Hound again. Exactly. He wasn't too soft, was he? He wasn't too soft. He wasn't overly jokey or. No. rough or harsh as he has been recently he was just right there in the middle yeah and and actually this show this uh episode for me showed me that some of the some of the worries i'd had about D's writing were, was probably slightly um uncalled for or whatever in the sense that i worried that they had a anachronistic perspective of um how characters should behave Mm-hmm. And there were lots of moments in this episode which showed me that they weren't concerned about mod- modern sensibilities uh, being stuck onto this medieval-esque fantasy society. Yeah. One of which being they didn't try and show the Hound as this modern guy that was all blah, blah, blah. They didn't try and show Sansa as you know thinking why are all these men going off to sleep with other women they didn't show yeah um they even had a conversation where varis said quite plainly to Tyrion, you know for, for better or for worse having a cock matters to some people oh yeah i love that yeah i was like yes it's it's a great That's it's a great gr- great line because it because it shows yeah. they're not afraid of being truthful to the characters in that era and that time yeah, and, and you know, people can say it's a fantasy show, but we all know it's based on a medieval sort of society. Exactly. So, if it's a, if you're going to make that argument, Mary McFly might as well appear and take out a lightsaber and kill Cersei or something. Yeah. You know why not? It's fantasy. Yeah, yeah. You could. It just goes on and on, doesn't it? Yeah. George yeah. himself said, you know, just it does just because it's fantasy, it doesn't mean I want characters to be walking around on their hands all the time. You know. Exactly. I think, yeah. I think that was the line he said. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry. No, actually, just carry okay. on what you were going to say. All I really would have said was I love Tormund again, but like that's not a point. It's just an acknowledgement. <laughs> yeah, I love Tormund actually. Yeah, he's just been consistently good, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's, this he's season, anyway. awesome. And there was a really weird little uh, section which was really weirdly edited or something. I couldn't work out what was going on, where <laughs> the, like the other women like popped up and were like hey let's go for a shag or whatever and oh yeah 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 it was, it was really weirdly done and yeah. I, I was sat watching it with two mates and like one of my mates went what's going on like that <laughs> like like it was literally like they they went a bit cr- like Tormund's head like the way it popped out and stuff like that everything went all yeah. random for about 30 <laughs> seconds it was and then like, like yeah it immediately cuts to him crying to the hound yeah, like, yeah it's just weird it's weird <laughs> it was really weird but I, yeah. I didn't mind it you know it was just it was, no. just, it was just odd yeah, actually, uh, since we're on Tormund, right, and I'll I'll probably forget if I wait. 
I I have a conspiracy theory, Jamie, Uh-oh. and I want to know if you agree or disagree. Now, this is not based on any evidence whatsoever. It's just a gut feeling I have. Yeah. So, I think that Ghost, obviously Ghost was added in post-production, but I think all of the scenes in which Ghost appears were not storyboarded for, were not blocked with Ghost in mind, and he was only popped in as an afterthought. And... The scene in which Ghost leaves with Tormund in this episode was a pickup. Now, Ooh. I I actually I look back at the the very few shots Ghost has appeared in this season, right? Since I had this idea, the first time we see him, he's awkwardly in the background with uh, John and Sam and Ed on the wall, right? Yeah, yeah. So he he could have just been added in as an afterthought there. Yeah. Second time we see him is charging in with Jorah. He's always kind of on the periphery in those shots. And the shots could work if you remove Ghost. That like there's no weirdly empty space. Yeah. And then in, obviously this time we see him when he's miraculously alive after everyone thought he was dead. Um, what one he's he's in the funeral at the start. He can easily be removed from that and doesn't change anything about the shot or the scene. And then he leaves with torment. That's the one. That's the one scene in which he is necessary because he's actually acknowledged by other characters as being present. Wow. And the scene's kind of about him. So I think that could have been a pickup. But again, this is just a conspiracy theory. I've absolutely no evidence at all. No, you, you, you know what? You, you could be spot on. I mean, it's certainly, you've laid it out in a way which sounds believable because it, it, every time he appeared, it was random. It, you know, yeah. And to the point where people that I was watching it with were like, would mention how he seemed tagged on. Like, yeah, and it's it was not a befitting ending to ghosts arc by any stretch no um, or indeed uh, maybe he was the last of the Starks like oh he might as well be Jesus yeah. give him a happy ending Fine. yeah I mean all of the direwolves now have just been completely <laughs> shafted yeah they have like the, the, their whole thing has just been made completely pointless like why again set up and pay off why have in the very first episode of the whole show have this moment with them all discovering these direwolves why have them be prominent part of their journey and their characters discussions in that first season mm-hmm. if it all amounts to nothing and it it, it it has amounted to nothing yeah and we know what it amounts to in the sh- in the books which was warging and i still don't really understand their reasoning for not wanting to go that route in the show in the show to be yeah. honest yeah it can't be that they're too afraid of having too many magic elements in it because they have bloody ice zombies and dragons going around yeah. in every episode so I don't know their reasoning was they didn't want they only wanted they wanted Bran to be the only one that walked um, to make him stand out I guess so I, I, but I, I don't really get that I mean but again like they created Rod for their own back there because they, they didn't need to have Bran be the way Bran is in the show anyway Bran doesn't need to be like that and he probably suffers for being that way anyway so have Bran as we discussed last season uh, last episode have him you know uh, north of the wall doing his tree werewood tree business that's fine it's not a problem and then you can still uh, that works better for Bran and that also means that you can have the warging element be the strong element that it is in the books and there's no need there's no, as as far as I can see, there is no need for that not to be a strong element. It doesn't 
encumber anything else or I, I don't understand it um but it is what it is and unfortunately the direwolves have as you say been shafted they've just not yeah. not got a very strong role in the show at all no yeah it, mm. it was it was sad just seeing ghost walk off like that <laughs> with torment and john just like just look at him l- looks they- at him and he's like yeah all right <laughs> Very odd. Like, was it? Was, is it particularly difficult CGI to have a moment with his? Like, I don't, I don't get that. But you see, they. Ha- I don't buy that. If if that's any reason someone gives, because they had way more moments with characters and direwolves in previous seasons where they yeah. touched them and pet them and stuff. Yeah. And now yeah. with their massive budget. Yeah. You know, I don't see how that uh, applies. No. So we had the Brienne and Jamie um, relationship. Yeah. What did you think? Right, I'm kind of conflicted about this because on... Okay, first I'll say I thought it it makes sense. It's nice, right? And it felt right in a way. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I don't think it was necessary. I think that Jamie knighting Brienne is basically a sex scene for them anyway yeah like yeah. that that's that's the pinnacle of their relationship right there what we had in episode two and that like an actual romantic relationship isn't necessary and maybe kind of undermines the special relationship they had before yeah you agree yeah i, I totally agree i mean i i totally agree the the nighting i mean as you said that feels like a sex scene anyway in in a, obviously not in a literal way but um, it it comes back again to what we discussed last episode about they feel the need to force characters together in this show and in, in this season. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the moment, regardless of whether or not you think Jamie and Brienne should have ended up together in a, in that way, yeah. It then comes back to the 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 problems that game of thrones has to my mind one of which is the fan fiction element so are they doing that are they showing that and presenting that because they believe that's what the fans want to see or are Mm. they presenting that because that's what they feel is right let's just presume it's the latter just to give them the benefit of the doubt but then we still got the issue of contrivance and this is the main issue because we spoke as i say about how the show has contrived these romantic or sexual encounters together in, over the course of the last few episodes. And that goes back to probably Daenerys and John, uh, John which yeah. was way too quick. Um, and, it, and to be honest, it's as I said before, it's one of the cheapest tricks writers can use to attempt to force emotion into situations. And yeah. I don't think this was any more evident than in this sudden and yes. t- to my mind. it did, It doesn't ring true to me that moment quite as as it happened Mm. um but forget whether or not it rang true to you as a viewer because the main as issue as i say was that it became apparent why the relationship occurred literally five minutes later yeah as they swept jamie away and you know brienne was left in tears that's that's the setup and the payoff and it the setup and the payoff has happened five minutes apart yeah (laughs) yeah it's so clear in this instance yeah and I think it's, I think it was easy for anyone to see that, um, yeah. because again, I mean, I watched I watched it with two mates and their girlfriends, wives actually, 
One's got what? Anyway, it doesn't matter. And <laughs> <laughs> and when they got together, one of them went, oh, that was a surprise, which, you know, I thought, well, I'm not sure if it was a surprise, but I, okay, interesting. And then when they got sort of broken up, one of the others went, well, that was pointless then. And yeah. I was like, and <laughs> it sums it up. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. So why did they do it? Why did they have that moment? And it seems to be for one of two reasons. One, for fan fiction, or two, because they wanted to contrive contrive it so that they could be taken apart because that punctuates a level of emotion that it wouldn't otherwise have. Exactly. And that's the only purpose for that whole sequence. And when when the sort of the the wires to the puppetry become so apparent like that, hmm. it, it it's disappointing. I'm again I'm conflicted about Jamie even making that decision to go back as well. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. Not, I don't know I'm how I feel about that. Like again, yeah, I'll have to see how it plays out. Like, yeah. is he going back because he wants to be with Cersei, or is he going back and making, you know, cutting it off with Brienne in such a harsh way because he doesn't want her to follow him, and he feels the personal responsibility that he needs to put an end to Cersei himself. Mm. It really depends on which of those it is. If it's that he he loves Cersei and he wants to be with her, I I don't believe that it doesn't feel true at all to me mm. after he split with her last season but um whatever we'll see we'll see we shall see as we're around this as we're sort of around this part of the episode and as i keep on banging on about payoff and setup may yeah. i may as well quickly mention what i can think of as another great example of that and that's they did exactly the same thing with John telling his sisters about his heritage, his per- yeah, his heritage, yeah, and then having Sansa telling Tyrion five minutes later. Five minutes later, yeah, the same thing as I've just spoken about twice before. Two other examples of it within the same episode, and now they've done exactly the same thing. These moments are great if you take them in isolation, but they become problems. When, yeah, when you're when you're looking at the narrative whole, yeah, it's yeah, they're problems. Yeah, because you just see the, the cogs too easily, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, why, why have that happen from a from a narrative perspective? Why have him tell them only for Sansa to tell, and why have him go swear, swear it, swear it, swear? It. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I haven't heard it yet. Go on, you, you have to swear it. Like what? You sounded like David Brent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, what are you doing? What are you doing? How are you doing it? No. But that's what the moment was like. Even no. even that moment in the moment for me was a bit like that. I was like, what are you doing? But then again, it becomes apparent why they've hit that home because she then lies. So the yeah. reason why they had him say, swear it, and her say, okay, I swear it, about 40 times is because she then lies a few minutes later and she tells Tyrion. <laughs> Yeah, they wouldn't have bothered with the whole swear it malarkey if she hadn't have if she'd have broken the promise. So you know, yeah. as she's doing it, that one of you, one of them's going to break the promise yeah. Yeah. because they keep on setting things up in such a way that then becomes easy to predict because you know there's only one reason they would do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Can I just say, since we're actually we've just pointed out something negative there, while mm. I think of it again, I want to point out. I did like Maisie Williams in this episode. Yeah. I thought she was more Arya-esque. 
Yeah, I did actually, yeah. And I did like, finally Dinklage feels like Tyrion again and finally Conleth Hill is Varys again. Yeah, massive. They have things to do. Yeah. They, they have lines to say that make sense with regard to who they are and where they come from. Yeah. And it was great. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Tyrion did become a bit dumb again later in the episode, but... Yeah, yeah. But but, but, but again, in the moment, yeah, in, in the moment he was Tyrion. Yeah, totally. And that conversation with Varys and Tyrion was great, and it feels like Varys and Tyrion. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, this, this is what we want, and... We we want these we want to see these characters play out in a way which is believable to the to us as an audience and feel mm. like those characters, and if they do that, that's all we ask for. We don't even really need the big moments to happen in a spectacular fashion that they seem to think that we need. Yeah, we just want to see these characters behave in a way which is like those characters, and then see how they play out in those situations. Exactly, that's what's so interesting about it. What what what's, was so interesting about it? So if they if if they do more of that, then I'm all for it. But we've only got two episodes left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All so right. then it could we obviously the the last twenty five minutes of the episode revolve around shenanigans. Shenanigans. Yeah. Oh my god! <clears throat> First of all, they have the plan to leave Winterfell and go to Dragonstone, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why? <laughs> I don't I don't understand why they're going to Dragonstone in the first place. Because they know, they know Euron brought the Golden Company from Essos over to King's Landing. And therefore they also know that the only way he could have brought them by sea to King's Landing is to go past Dragonstone and be in that general area in the first place. So I don't get why, it's not like they're going to lay siege to King's Landing via sea. Because their sea force is not where their strength lies. It's It's on the ground and in the air. So... It doesn't really make any sense to be amassing at Dragonstone because then you just have to sail in anyway. Where what John's doing makes sense, bringing the the ground force down the King's Road, the King's Landing. Mm. Well, I I just don't understand why they have to go to Dragonstone. Well, I, I do, I do. It's so we can get the shock scene that happens. Yeah. See, again, that's the problem, isn't it? We, yeah. The only reason why things are happening, the only feasible reason why things are happening is because of the outcome of those situations from a writing perspective, a narrative perspective. There's no yeah. feasible reason why these things happen from an in-world perspective. Like yeah. like Zero, you, we can't come up with any. So <laughs> that's not, you know, that's not a coincidence. It's just a problem. <laughs> um, yeah. And to most people who... who watch things they need things to 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 ring true slightly and yeah. even if you don't really follow things too deeply you will notice these things even if it's yeah. subconscious and that's why the majority of people are now starting to say oh it's not quite the same game of thrones as it used to be is it no. and that's the, that is the majority of people because reviews are really suffering now yeah i think this episode in particular uh, mm-hmm. had very negative impressions from a lot of people it did, which a, is weird. A, a lot of casual, casual viewers. As yeah, well. it's strange to me because to me this episode wasn't as bad as last episode, but it's almost as if people were catching up with the thought mm. process. Like they're now they've now had a week to think about the last episode, and they're yeah. thinking, "Hang on, that's weird. It doesn't make sense." And now they're seeing that the, all the setup and payoff isn't happening in the way that that we've been saying for quite a while. 
and now they're starting to see that more and more yeah and yeah it is feeling it is feeling like people are slowly getting wind of how derailed the show has become um yeah but yeah. yeah that that whole that whole attack segment by Euron killing the dragon and destroying the fleet it just oh god like it it doesn't make any sense when you start to think about it at all like so, either from from a narrative point of view or a logistical point of view yeah um, no. <laughs> like I, there's there's so much to say about this you can take it down to first of all it makes no sense that he was able to like knock off three laser accurate shots uh without being seen and killing a dragon before anyone knew he was there in the first place mm. like he has like 12 ships you you can't Daenerys was up in the air how did like how was he not seen and I, I know what they're doing they want this the, 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 the whole thing is that it's a stealth attack it's a naval stealth attack right now in reality naval stealth attacks are not gotcha moments they're not moments where a few ships pop up out of nowhere and ambush other ships yeah. a stealth attack in naval warfare happens over a period of hours where you're going along in your ship on the horizon you spot another ship either moving to cut off your path or coming directly towards you then you have to take measures to you know turn your Come ship around on. change yeah. your route and like that they won't reach you for hours but they've already got the wind on you yeah so yeah, yeah. you're screwed and you know in the, in the sense that they wanted this moment to be a cool surprise naval attack which they've already done with Euron in season 7 anyway and it made even less sense then it, this isn't how to do it that's not how they happen do you know what though this is what's odd to me because the way you just, you just described a stealth naval attack mm. to me is more interesting it is and I've been telling you to watch Black Sails for years and you haven't watched it yet. There's <laughs> plenty yeah. of that in that show. That's what they were doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's more interesting. And it's more tense as well. It allows the tension to be drawn over a longer period of time. Yeah. I mean, the way that they tried to have it happen was, it just doesn't ring true. And no. you can subconsciously, even if you don't know all the stuff that you've just said, which I don't really, I hadn't really thought about it in as much detail as what you just laid out Mm. I still knew those things subconsciously if that makes sense I still knew that it didn't make sense and it didn't ring true even if I didn't know why it didn't ring true and I think most people would as well in the moment they might be shocked but it's again it's the difference between the the shock for the sake of a shock and the shock the reason again the reason why Game of Thrones always made sense was because shock and subversion were organic and real and yep. and it was like you you had the initial shock and then you would always go oh my god that makes so much sense but i just didn't think of it oh god yeah that was why it was always exactly, <laughs> interesting yeah. and shocking yeah now you can, it's you, you track it back yeah, yeah now you get shocked but you're shocked and you're sort of like what like even in the moment you're like what <laughs> because they just they pile it on as well they pile on the shock factor even down to the point where like the music just abruptly halted oh god yeah that's not y- good technique for me well stylistically it's not consistent with how no. moments like that have been presented in the show in the past anyway no, exactly the only thing it's similar to is in the first episode when Tormund tackles John in the Winterfell courtyard uh, the exact same thing happens the music cuts out but then it's used 
for a comedic effect moment that is yeah. intimate between characters and doesn't actually affect the story or plot in any meaningful way so fine but yeah. here it's for a big moment yeah and uh, it just doesn't work it's like it's like you know the, the squeaking of um, like a record player coming to a halt so yeah you uh, you made a little put a little piece together about what Benioff oh, Benioff's explanation of that whole situation and why it didn't make sense yeah roll it Johnny while Danny kind of forgot about the Iron Fleet and Euron's forces they certainly haven't forgotten about her and the Golden Company has arrived in King's Landing courtesy of the Greyjoy fleet the balance has grown distressingly even while Danny kind of forgot about the Iron Fleet and Euron's forces. We need to find Euron Greyjoy's fleet and sink it. Your Grace, he's already destroyed a good portion of our fleet. While Danny kind of forgot about the Iron Fleet and Euron's forces. Your strategy has lost us Dawn, the Iron Islands, and the Reach. While Danny kind of forgot about the Iron Fleet and Euron's forces. Euron's ships could be anywhere or in more than one place. He'd be flying around the open seas alone for who knows how long. I wouldn't be alone. I would have Drogon, Viserion, and Rhaegal. What can anyone do to them? While Danny kind of forgot about the Iron Fleet and Euron's forces, they certainly haven't forgotten about her. Decent Johnny. Decent Johnny. Decent Johnny. That's his name. <laughs> I don't know. I don't really want to say much more about it because... You've summed it can, up really as what well. What can be said, yeah, like mm. excusing something like that by saying a character forgot is ridiculous. Yeah. Considering what's been set up in the past and in the same episode. No. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, that's not convincing at all. Yeah. Uh, wow. Plus like, uh, I have to bring up this scorpion weapon. I'm sorry. I have to do it. Okay. But that like makes no sense either in terms of where like they've skipped over by making that as lethal and effective as it is. They've essentially skipped over like 600 years of uh, weapon technology that like that thing is so lethal and so accurate over such a long distance. It's better than cannons <laughs> and it, it equals World War One artillery. It's Jesus. crazy. Like, and actually, my brother uh, is very mathematically inclined and he was looking up um, the physics of all this after the episode. Like, he was actually trying to work it out and he looked up the, like, historically similar weapons like Ballista and stuff. And um, what they've presented in the show really makes no sense. You could, you could get a version of that that fires that far or you could get a version of that that fires that powerfully, but you can't combine those. Like, either... You have a massive immobile weapon like that that can't really move, but it can be really powerful because it's rooted to the spot and it can be wound up uh, efficiently. Or you have one that turns around like Euron's one does and can move, um, right. but that that won't be as powerful and won't fly nearly as far because um, you know obviously it flops around the place and therefore exerting that amount of ridiculous power and force would just make it smash to pieces. Right. So interesting. Um, yeah. Well, I mean. That's interesting, but also, uh, how does that work in terms of? Could it not be the case that 
their technology developed at such a rate that that could have been invented or is it the case that if that had been invented then something else would have been invented which would mean that the whole of technology would have developed beyond where it is Does that yeah make sense? It's the, the second one yeah right okay yeah. Yeah, so in which case, this is the thing with sci-fi or fantasy, which I think some people neglect. It's not so much that you can't have whatever you want. It's that whatever you have has to be consistent. Yes. So if you have technology, a specific technology in a in a sci-fi or fantasy, especially one that from the outset grounded itself as one grounded in reality... Um, it has to all be consistent with what else can be done in that world. Mm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's like what we said about the fire breaking walls. If we're going to have, <laughs> if we're going to have dragon fire breaking walls, f- fine. Okay. We can take that, but it means that John can't hide behind that ledge. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the same here. If we're going to have a ballista being able to be that powerful and that, go that far then why isn't all the other military equipment of a of an equal footing yeah it 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 doesn't add up so that's all that people that's that's sort of the minimum requirement of fantasy and and sci-fi and in 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 my view you know and i don't think i'm i don't think we're being pedantic with that because i think that's exactly what george r r martin strives for with the books and it's what lots of fantasy writers strive for it's not like we're being particularly yeah, we're not, precious yes we're not asking for much with that that's like a very generous request and expectation to have sure totally yeah. it's not yeah yeah it's, it's not like we're saying oh well dragons couldn't exist because of blah 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 <laughs> and their wingspan wouldn't blah 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 although even saying that about wingspan you know if you're going to have dragons have the dragons be aerodynamic to an extent blah blah mm-hmm. blah like this is how this is how the whole artistic process should work if you've got the money for it especially if you're one man in his room writing something it, it's different but if you've got a huge budget then you've definitely got the time or the and the inclination to ask someone who could <laughs> know something about that particular subject yeah it'd be the exactly. first thing that i'd do if i was a writer and i had a lot of money yeah, work share, delegate. Don't yeah. just do everything yourself. You know, even if it meant less for myself, whatever. The, the, the whole point of art is you create something that's as good as it possibly can be. Yeah. And, you know, if, I, if I'd been tasked with this, I'd be like, right, how do I make this as good as possible? I want to make, I don't know enough about military combat. I don't know enough about this equipment. I need to talk to some people. I need, to, I need them to tell me what can be done, mm-hmm. which they just haven't done. No. See, the thing is, right, without getting into specifics of the scene itself, the last 10 minutes or whatever is where Missandei is executed, right? Yeah. I see, like, I see what they're doing, okay? And that's fine. They're going for uh, the kind of Mad Queen Daenerys thing and she has to be stopped. And this all correlates with what Tyrion and Varys have been talking about and how Jon is now the unwilling rival, all this sort of stuff, right? Yeah. Now I I see what they want us to feel. They want us to feel conflicted about this because we don't want to see Daenerys doing this mm. because we know deep down she's a good person and for her to go completely unhinged like this is horrible, right? Yeah. But in order for us to feel that we have to feel conflicted about her target. Now, her target is supposed to be the innocent people of King's Landing, but 
the, King's Landing as a city and as a collection of people has been shown so little regard for so long that to us, the audience, King's Landing is actually Cersei and Euron and Kyburn and the Mountain. Four horrible people who have basically no redeeming qualities at all. Mm, good point. So basically, like, I want to feel that conflict and I want to be like, no, Daenerys, don't do that. But I'm so indifferent at this point. I don't yeah. care. And I just want her to kill them all, which is, you know, I know that's wrong. And I know that's not, not what you're supposed to feel. But, you know, I, I've just become so apathetic and I don't care about Cersei or anyone anymore because it becomes so cartoonish that. Yeah. And actually, I'm that's ro- a- I'm rooting for Daenerys, which is bonkers. That's a really good point, though, as well, because, again, like all you need to do is is follow. If you think back to the hard home episode how mm. they um, introduced that character. I can't remember the character's name. Oh, it's Carsey. It's her name. Right. It's not mentioned in the episode, but Okay. Yeah. And she turns into one of the walk- white walkers, um, into one of the whites. Yep. And um, her whole family does, blah, blah, blah. And it builds up that character and her relationships and blah, blah, blah. And then all of that all happens in one episode and how powerful that can be. Mm. And we've got none of that for King's Landing and mm. we've had seasons and seasons where they could have had a couple of families or one family just living in Flea Bottom at King's Landing yeah. who we who we see occasionally trying to work their way up the, you know, trying to survive in this world I mean does that not sound quite interesting to you? Yeah, like, it does. Yeah, yeah. Like, why haven't they? Why haven't they shown us that? And not well, only is it interesting in and of itself to see those characters within Flea Bottomed, you know, a mother, single mother, or whatever, with two babies or whatever, and she's like, she has to go off to work and blah blah blah. Just cutting to her every now and then to show her her life and how difficult it has been. Not only does that work as as an internal little story. But it yeah. also does the very thing that you've just spoken about, which means we care about the people who live in King's Landing. Yeah. That's so easy. It's so easy. And they did it before in previous seasons. Yeah. When, say Marjorie was going to that orphanage and yeah. talking to kids and stuff. And, you know, whoever, Tommen or Joffrey and Marjorie or whatever, would go out to the steps of the Sept of Valor and wave at everyone. Yeah. That's a tiny, tiny moment. And it's about Marjorie and whoever she's with. But... There's also the human factor of the cheering crowd as well. They're there. They're present. We we know they exist. Yeah, they're Whereas, just faceless uh, lemmings now, aren't they? Just they're like, C- they're literally CGI people. In well, in this episode, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not real. They're, they're, yeah, so you, there's no reason that we'd feel anything for them. Whereas yeah. you know, it it really wouldn't have taken much, and they could still in the the battle for king's landing which we know it will be like a whole episode dedicated to i presume yeah they could very well have uh, have a family which is you know presented in a way that carsey was presented in hard home yeah but one i doubt it and two <laughs> that would have been more powerful had that ca- that family been introduced at Earlier. the beginning of the season or yeah before and it it's, doesn't um... They could Sorry. have even they could have even given us a vessel to that character if, if you if you know that from a writing perspective they felt that that introduction may have been too abrupt. There are other ways of bringing those characters in, whether it be by having one of the um, Kingsguard go off into the slums or whatever, and, and then it 
slowly brings a particular character in because I think they like to the way they write it, they do like to use characters to bring new characters in if that makes sense they don't just yeah. like to cut to a whole new sequence yeah and but again that's doable they could have they could have done that in many ways mm. so yeah it's actually interesting you brought up hard home there and brought up carsey as an example because that was a miguel sapochnik directed episode and he is also directing the next next week's episode which i assume will be the one in which everything becomes chaotic Mm. In King's Landing mm. since his name is attached to it and they're barreling ahead like ridiculously fast now so um how many episodes are left two two yeah. oh yeah there's no there's no escaping now from that being no yeah no yeah yeah so yeah I would hope there is some element of that but that that kind of comes from the the writer's room rather than the director it does unfortunately unless the director's it, you almost get the feeling or the sense that during Hard Home, you can almost imagine as him receiving the script and saying, we need somebody to care about during this. Yeah. And that would be a, a good note to have about... To be honest, we needed that for even the last episode. Um, the... What was it called? Last Night. The, lo- the Long Night. The Long Night. You even needed that then. We've got loads of characters who we supposedly care about but nobody on the front line who we care about no Dothraki or no you know yeah. none of these little characters who we, who we could have just seen their experience from a from a realistic and human level mm. which would have been really interesting but again it would have been mm. yeah and this is why in season one when they had the battle in episode eight or, or something that, that the, the Lannister one yeah which they didn't show yeah. yeah it doesn't matter that they didn't show it because what they did was they stuck to the characters who we knew and showed us their experience during that battle like Tyrion yeah where he just got knocked out and just concentrated and focused on his little experience basically yeah yeah and that's how you do it if you haven't got people that you care about you you focus on the people you do and if you and if you have got the budget to show the battle, then at least create people that you care about. <laughs> yeah. Which we haven't got. No. So it'll be interesting to see whether what happens. I mean, as I say, I I don't necessarily, from a, from a very um, generalised perspective, I don't mind how this episode went. Like, I understand how this show functions now. I understand that it's the Avengers in terms of its... Um, <laughs> how quickly the story moves and the character sort of um, development. Um, But as you've said before, the Avengers knows what it is. Game of Thrones still feels like it's pretending to be something it's not now. Yeah. Um, So it would be nice to see. Well, I, I, this is the, this is the the facts of the matter. I, there is no way that I can see that it will, it will be in these last two episodes, anything close to what we'd hoped in the past. No. So with that in mind, there isn't an awful lot of point going in with the expectation of something grander. And therefore, hopefully it gives us the very least of our expectations, which is, you know, that we care about the characters. Yeah. That's all I care about now. Like, if we care about these characters. If it doesn't quite ring true when Daenerys loses her mind, which I feel will happen now, Oh yeah, 
if it doesn't quite ring true I can probably buy I can probably you know I can get on with that <laughs> yeah but if I don't care when characters die or what happens or what the outcome is that'll be the, that'll be the problem that is a problem yeah yeah and hopefully it won't happen yeah I, 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 I still think there's enough there for us to care yeah definitely the actors can pull it off it's, yeah. it just really relies on how it's written yeah yeah like speaking of that you know Grey Worm and Daenerys' reactions to Missandei being killed I thought they both did a great job especially yeah. Amelia Clark. Yeah. I, I thought she was really good when, like that last shot when she's running away and her face is just completely contorted yeah because this is the thing if if we are seeing the, the transformation of Daenerys now she's selling that she you is know? yeah she she is selling that whether or not it's come too quickly or it's it's contrived it too quickly that's another <laughs> yeah. matter now like we we as i say that ship has sailed that's how yeah. this show now works mm-hmm. so discarding that for a second do i buy in that moment that this is enough to transform daenerys to what i think will happen yeah just about you know in a <laughs> yeah. very in a, in a, in a diff, on a different plane to how i used to think about it but but yeah but it's mainly down to how she's as you said how how her performance is working when she's been really good i think yeah it's just the weirdest thing about all this is john has weirdly become an afterthought <laughs> in the story yeah because of what Arya did last episode like yeah. in the battle just deleted his entire purpose and storyline well, they um, they did give him some more stuff to that uh, in this episode, you know, in terms of he, him being the person that people will follow. Yeah, yeah true. Uh, but one of the things that, I mean, I said to you earlier about that quote, so those who have swords and know how to use them but keep them sheathed shall inherit the earth. Yeah. And that's what John is. Um, yeah. Well, that's, yeah. That's, that's what he should, that's what he has been. Mm-hmm. Um, in the last episode, to an extent, because he kind of just did a bit of what Daenerys told him to, it kind of took that a bit away from him. Just because he's quiet and he's introverted, it doesn't mean he's weak. Yeah. But he was a bit weak in terms of, it. you know, he was literally just doing what Daenerys told him, which was a bit disappointing for me because you don't have to be, they're not synonymous being weak and quiet and, you know, these things. Yeah. But actually, even though I like it all in in its conceptual form, how da- Daenerys feels out of place and and people don't necessarily follow her in quite the way they follow John, I yeah. like that in its essence. I'm not sure it makes sense practically, and the reason I'm not in, with what we've been presented, and the reason why is going back to that quote: "Those who have swords and know how to use them, but keep them sheathed, shall inherit the earth." Because she essentially has these huge swords that she does for the most part keep them sheathed now you can you can have that as an analogy for uh, nuclear weapons or whatever you want but if you think about america they have swords and for the most part have kept them sheathed and they know how to use them and they control the earth now the same can be said here for 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 daenerys in a very literal way she she has two very powerful weapons uh, one now. One now, yeah. And she kept them sheathed. So it it confuses me a little bit and on a very realistic yeah. level why people weren't 
that enamoured with her. I mean, I think in, in reality, someone arriving with a bunch of dragons would be like, look, we've got to follow this woman. Like, seriously, man. <laughs> That's what happened with Aegon the Conqueror. Yeah. That's Although what... he did... No, wait, hold on now. He did actually use them. Never mind. He did, did he? he so he, he, did, so yeah, he ruled out times. of fear, though. That's the thing. Yeah. There's a difference. But this is the thing. If you rule out of fear, then you can... You you won't inherit the earth. That's the that's the whole point of the quote. You 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 will rule for for a time. Now, yeah. Daenerys turns up with two dragons and has for the most part kept them sheathed. That for me, in a realistic situation, would be enough for everybody to be like, "This is a real queen." Yeah, she's got everything at her disposal, and and yet look at her. Like, as I say, in the moment, if I don't think about it, all of that works beautifully. But when I think about it, like in a realistic perspective, mm-hmm. if that really happened, they would th- those people would flock to her, just as they did in those other in the other countries across the narrow sea. People would flock to her because if she's yeah. gentle and powerful, that is, yeah. that's a potent combination that nobody can, you know, refuse. Well, yeah. The, the the only thing is, people across the narrow sea didn't have the weight of having lived under her mad father, who has the same name as her, who she like derives her power from essentially that name. Yeah. So there's That's a, a good there's point. a bit of a difference, but no, overall, I I do think you're right. There is point. there is actually a really good point there. I mean, I can understand reticence. I can understand reticence. Yeah. But I but I also feel with something of of that power and seeing how she behaves like people i mean they basically were ignoring her at the feast (laughs) now even in the in the moment i thought that's cool and it it makes sense as an afterthought i'm thinking you know that's quite strange that she just sat there by herself and everyone's kind of ignoring her like uh, i'm pretty sure even if it was out of fear i'm pretty sure people would be like oh my they're like bowing down to her almost because Mm. I mean, it's godlike, isn't it, to turn up with two dragons? It's godlike. Yeah. yeah. It's not something that everyone that happens every day in in Westeros. <laughs> no. It's truly godlike. So people, in all actuality, should be behaving in a way which would be, you know, in absolute awe of in her. Complete awe. Yeah. 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 So yeah, yeah I mean, again, this goes back to the old Game of Thrones and how, and probably another reason why George has been contending with writing the script for a long time because he probably wants to reach the same story beats that D&D are reaching without the same problems that we've just laid out because everything would have to be more would have to ring true and he's probably thinking the same stuff like how do I get these things to happen whilst remaining true it's Mm. hard you know really hard so some of the flaws that I've just pointed out are, are harsh and we that we've continued to point out are harsh. Some are obvious, and they shouldn't have ever had problems with. And for the most part, it's still an entertaining and exciting spectacle. Yeah, that's the key word. Spectacle. Yeah. yeah, I just hope, as we said earlier on, I just hope that we've got some stuff to care about in the last two episodes, which I think we will. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> Did you say that? Did you second the hope so as you looked off into the sunset? Yeah, I actually did. I looked off to the side, <laughs> looked away from my microphone. 
<laughs> oh man oh my god that's weird that that happens subconsciously yeah so that's that is real when that happens in films and stuff <laughs> apparently so yeah jeez yeah so that isn't cliche no but this is it's cold up here for a southern girl so keep your queen warm Don't be afraid. 